This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast, brought to you as always by the good folks at Bet Rivers. Remember to go to the Bet Rivers app. For all of your wagering needs, and as we uh, get ready for college football, which even has some interesting games this evening, uh, and has week one upon us on Saturday, and and the NFL right around the corner, that's where you go, wherever you need, you got Bit Rivers, and they have a lot of interesting things for you to look at, and a lot of things that you'll find very interesting, very entertaining, and very challenging for this uh, football season, but uh, we are still a couple of days away from our coverage of the NFL. So, I mean, I'll take a couple of emails today. So, a couple of my uh, touch on the NFL, but I'm not going to hit it in depth yet. I want to start with the Ryder Cup. Now, if you're not a golf fan, you don't care about the Ryder Cup. If you're a golf fan, you care a lot about the Ryder Cup. And there's a lot of controversy this year because of what went on with the team. The big talk all summer was about whether or not. Brooks Kepka would make the team. Everybody knew he'd make the team. It didn't matter if he was a live player or not. He was going to make the team because of his performances in majors and the fact that he's Brooks Kepka. So he's going to be on the team. And he's on the team. The big thing was whether or not Justin Thomas was going to be on the team. Justin Thomas has had a nightmarish season. And usually everyone thinks you have to have form. You have to have played well to qualify. They take the top six guys who qualify automatically. And then they have six captain's picks. And it was a question of whether or not Thomas, who is very, very friendly with a lot of the guys that are on the team, especially Spieth and Ricky Fowler. Uh, but he has had a, he's had a good pass in the Ryder Cup, but he's also had a nightmarish season. Well, he made the team. And Zach Johnson put himself out there and he picked him. So there was a tremendous amount of criticism already of Zach Johnson. But let's be honest, we're not going to know until they play this year's Ryder Cup whether or not he was right. If he, now he picked a team, they said, based on chemistry, based on camaraderie, based on best friends. We know that Spieth and Fowler and Justin Thomas are, are inseparable. We know that Burns is best friends with Scotty Scheffler, okay? Those guys are on the team. Scheffler, of course, made it automatically. So, you know, and Spieth was a lock to make the team anyway. But the point was, here are the guys who felt slighted. Keegan Bradley, who was very upset. Lucas Glover, Tony Finau, guys like that who could have easily made the team and didn't over Justin Thomas, who, as we said, has had a nightmarish season. I mean, he has fallen off a cliff. And he's there. And you know what? If the Americans lose the Ryder Cup, and he has to bury Justin Thomas because he's playing terribly early, or he plays terribly and he commits to him and he plays terribly throughout the competition, Zach Johnson's going to get killed. 
for taking him on the team, and he's going to have to live with that, and it's going to be a lot of criticism. You know, Ryder Cup losses come with a lot of criticism for the captain. Just go back and look at what went on with Tom Watson, who hated what went on. Phil Mickelson criticized him. He got an incredible amount of, of uh, negative publicity. And here's one of the great legendary golfers who was attacked unbelievably after the Ryder Cup failure. So Zach's put himself out there. We don't know if he's right or wrong yet. If, if the team wins, and they should be favored, but if they win, and they don't usually win in Europe, they haven't won in Europe in a long time, but if they play well or they win, and Thomas is okay, you won't hear anything. But if he's bad, I'd say if he's bad and Burns bad, there will be a lot of criticism for Zach Johnson. But the idea that you're ripping apart right now, hey, he's not wrong yet. He might be very wrong. He might have done these guys very unfairly. I mean, Keegan Bradley, we know, was crushed that he didn't make the team. He was very vocal about it. We know he was crushed that he didn't make the team. Lucas Glover had a really big year, and this was going to probably be his only chance to make a Ryder Cup team. But it didn't happen. He went with the guys that gave him the chemistry he wanted, and he's not wrong yet. If they play well, he's right. If they play badly and lose, he's wrong. That's what it comes down to. You know, the, it's so weird to watch the Yankees play out the string. And you're going to get a month of that for the first time in so many years where there's nothing at all to play for. And they're just going to be showcasing kids and playing for statistics and developing players like Volpe getting better as he has. And let's be honest, his season's going to be okay anyway. You know, they went through some really bad slumps with Volpe. First of all, it, didn't have, it did not affect his defense. His defense has been solid all year, and he played very heads up all year. He's going to wind up with over 20 doubles. He's going to wind up with 20 to 25 homers. He's going to wind up with 30 steals. He's not going to hit for batting average this year. I don't know if he's going to hit for batting average in the future. We'll see. But the bottom line is he got through this year in pretty good form, and he's there for the future. You can look at him as a solid player. I'm not saying he's going to be a superstar. I don't think he is. But I think he's going to be a very solid player. But the Yankees and their, the mess they have created here, and they don't handle anything right. They handled the beta thing terribly again this week. But they're going to bring kids up. They're bringing more up on Friday. You're going to see them play these kids. And they always overrate their kids. The kids mostly that they've brought up this year have been unimpressive. Other than Volpe, who has a future. The other guys, I don't see one guy yet that I say automatically has a future. Not one. Now, we haven't seen all of them yet. We got more coming. So we'll wait and pass judgment when the season's over. But the bottom line is that's all we're looking at. And to view the rest of this Mets season or the Yankee season in any other way makes no sense. It's just the culmination of a bitterly disappointing season. And as soon as... They put the ball in the air in football, which is a couple days away. No one's going to pay any attention to the Mets or the Yankees in September. There's no reason to. I mean, the Yankees did get Derek Jeter to come back for all-timers day, so they're going to have a moment. Okay, that's going to be a big moment, him coming back, for a lot of fans who grew up 
and are now showing their kids, you know, Yankee Stadium and the Yankee way and, you know, going back to what now are the halcyon days of the 90s. Thinking about those days. But remember, the guys who were teenagers were 20 years old then are now 45. You're going back a long way. You're going back a long way to the 90s and to Jeter and to Bernie and to those halcyon days of the late 90s, which are now a long time ago, a generation, more than a generation ago. And, you know, uh, for a lot of us, it seems like, you know, 96 seems like yesterday. 2000 seems like yesterday. What went on in 2001 seems like yesterday. But it's not. It's over 20 years ago. It's a long time ago. And you know what? It's been a long time since the Yankees. I've been the Yankees, too. You know, one thing before I get to your emails. We spend a lot of time at different times debating things like, oh, who's the best quarterback of all time? Oh, is it, you know, is it, is it, it's got to be Tom Brady. It's got to be this, it's got to be that. How about what Joe Montana said? Did you see what he said? They asked him who is the best quarterback of all time. This is Joe Montana, who I have always stated that he's the best postseason quarterback I've ever seen. He's clearly the best Super Bowl quarterback of all time. Just look at the numbers. They jump off the page. In terms of wins, in terms of performance, in terms of anything you want, nobody competes even closely with him. But his, his pick for the number one quarterback, the best quarterback of all time, Dan Marino. So that throws everybody into chaos in terms of their arguments. Dan never won a Super Bowl. We know that. Never. And you know what? We've made that point many times. When you talk about great quarterbacks, you can't exclude guys like Marino and Fouts and guys. They were great players. Did they win Super Bowls? No. But that's become the whole thing in sports. How many rings you got? Well, it starts with how many rings you got. Oh, you, oh, you can't be greater than them rings. We didn't, in the past, we didn't view sports that way. Now we do. Because of the extended, because the postseason is where the money is made, and now the postseason is much longer. It's been elongated dramatically from the old days in every sport. Many more games to be played. And so the postseason takes on a life of its own and it becomes the end-all and be-all. But there's the greatest Super Bowl quarterback of all time without any argument saying, hey, I think the best guy's a guy who never won a Super Bowl. So start with that argument now going forward. All right, let's get to your emails. Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. That's where you send them. Okay? 
That's where you go for uh, to send whatever emails you want. Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. Here we go. William, does the benefit of hindsight show that Dave Gettleman was actually a decent GM for the Giants with the emergence of Daniel Jones uh, and some of his other draft picks panning out while also considering how uh, OBJ's career has gone since he left Big Blue? It seems like Dave might not have been as bad as the Giants fans made him out to be. No, I think he was as bad. I'm sorry. Did he have a couple of picks? Okay. Remember, he was picking at the top for years. He can't miss all of them. So, I, no, I don't think he was. I, I think the Giants were terribly run for a long time, and now I think they are impeccably run. I think their front office is hitting on all cylinders, and I think they have the best new coach in the sport. A guy that I believe now, if you take the, if you take the guy, the if you take the the big guys who are getting to the end, like Belichick, Andy Reid, who are all time greats, and Andy Reid is now an all time great, which I always told you he would be. Take them and put them aside. I think for the next decade, the best coach in the league might be, might be the giant head coach. He's very impressive. And I thought last year the Giants were the best coach team in the league. That's why they were able to steal so many games. And they stole a bunch of games. And do not discount, when I say that, coaching the defensive coordinator who was a, an MVP last year. Danny, Aaron Rodgers will be the uh, 33rd starting quarterback for the Jets in the last 30 years. I'm going to take his word for it because I never counted. Um, can the case be made that Chad Pennington is the best of that previous bunch over Vinny Testaverde? Uh, here's what I would say. Chad was dependable. Vinny hit the high note. If you go and look at Vinny's season when the Jets went to the AFC title game, Vinny had an incredible year. 29 touchdowns, seven intercepts, MVP-type season. That was the high note. Uh, and that team could have easily won the Super Bowl. Remember, uh, I'll never forget being in Denver. And I made the mistake, folks. So you want to blame me? Blame me. Uh, Ro and I flew out for that game. And they went up 10 nothing, And Atlanta had won and knocked off that really juggernaut Minnesota team. And I knew Atlanta had no chance against the Jets. I said, I'm going to win a Super Bowl. I wish I could take the words out of my mouth. I'm going to win the Super Bowl. And the next thing I know, after doing nothing in the game, Elway completes a waggle down the field and hits a big play. And then all of a sudden, the Jets just forgot how to catch the ball, forgot how to carry the ball, fumbled the ball, turned the ball over. And, oh, the game was a nightmare. Final score, 23-10, Denver. Never, never, never forget it. Never forget it. It was a long, long flight home. Um, Kevin. Cashman gets a lot of credit for the Yankees' success in the late 90s. Can you give your thoughts on the contributions of Gene Michael and Bob Watson? The Yankees' dynasty, as we now call it, from 96 to 2001, 
that's to me when the dynasty really ends is 2001. Um, 96 to 2001, um, to me, the architect of that is G. Michael. There's no question about it. Bob Watson had his role. Cash had his role. But the architect of that is G. Michael. He built the great Yankee team. No one else. Ben and Westport. Looks like Zach uh, Wilson is the backup. Isn't that insane for a team that wants to go deep in the playoffs? Uh, what if Rogers hurts himself, misses a few games? Can you see Wilson winning games? I can't. I can't. I don't think he's ready to win games. I thought in preseason, a lot of people made fuss about certain things, but I saw him miss passes with wide open receivers, including a seam in the Giant game that I'm telling you it was a walk in touchdown. He missed the guy by 25 yards. Uh, I don't trust him. I don't trust him. Rogers better not get hurt. Brad. Who do you think was better, Willie McCovey or Willie Stargell? You know, sometimes you guys ask a question, and I look at it and say, what a good question. I mean, what a good question. I've never thought of that question before. I've never thought of that debate before. But I gave it a little thought just a minute ago, because I just happened to, when I turned the page on, that when Mon sent me all the emails, I saw that one. And I said, so I thought about it for a second when we were just going to start the podcast, and I said, what a great question. They are, and I started going through them and careers in, in my head, and I saw both of them play a lot. You know, through the years, I saw them both play in person. They're almost identical. That's why it's such a good question. Stargell had more chances in the postseason. McCovey hit in the postseasons he played in, but he had very few postseason appearances. Their numbers are almost identical. I mean, McCovey had 521 homers. Stargell hit just under 500. One's a 270-something hitter. One's a 280-something hitter. They had about the same number of RBIs. They both led the league. I mean, McCovey led the league more times than homers. Stargell had many more big moments in the postseason and was more of a leader. Uh, But I'm telling you, take your pick. They're both great, great, great sluggers. Left-handed, premier power hitters in their prime. 40 homers, 44 homers, 45 homers, you know, killer players. You know, when they're in the batter's box, scary figures in the batter's box. And I would say, flip or coin, here's what I would say about them. And, you know, McCovey is cherished in San Francisco, absolutely cherished. Um... McCovey was probably the better athlete. Stargell had that way about him where he was that big leader. You know, Pops, the whole thing. He was the big leader type. I didn't sense that from McCovey. But you know what? I didn't see enough of that giant group to know that from, you know, far away in a different world when the league was covered differently. But here's the thing. When McCovey got in the batter's box, you paid attention. 
he was scary. He was imposing, even more so than Stargell. But as far as their performances, I mean, they're almost, almost identical. Maybe that's why you picked it, because you looked and saw that they were almost identical. They are almost identical players. So take your pick. I'll take either one. And, and really, you can't knock. I mean, if you try to separate them, it's very, very hard. Paulie, I know you uh, like Hodgins. Uh, I do, uh, and I did last year. He's now essentially Giants number one wide receiver. Could that be a problem? I, I don't think it's a problem. I would, I would say this. First of all, Waller's going to be their number one receiver. I, I think he's going to, if he's healthy, I think he's going to catch 100 balls. Uh, I think he's going to be a major, major, major figure in this offense. He's going to be Danny Jones' favorite target. I think the, this offense is going to revolve around Daniel Jones, Saquon, and Waller. Hodgins is going to be, I think he's very underrated. You got Campbell, you got Slayton. Okay, they don't have one of these incomparable, crazy Jefferson, you know, type wide receivers that everybody covets so much now. But they have useful players. And like I said, Waller is going to make a huge difference and a big part of the giant offense, let's be honest, is Danny Jones's legs. They have to be a major weapon or the offense isn't the same. It is not scary. This offense is not scary to defend if Daniel Jones is not running the ball. His running the ball and his ability to run the ball is a big, big factor in the offense. I think the offensive line is going to be better. They still need a couple of guys to raise their level on that line. But they have a couple of guys now that I think are pretty good anchors on that line, too. So I think the offense is going to be improved. I think the Giants are going to be improved, but they might not be better record-wise because of what went on last year. They stole games last year. They stole a lot of games last year with their coaching and their daring and the daring of their defensive coordinator. But we'll get into that before the season starts when I give you my thoughts on the Giants and the Jets and what I expect from them before the season starts. We'll get into that next week. Uh, we're still a week away from that as we begin our NFL. But I, I would tell you the number one target is going to be Waller. I don't think there's any, any question about that. But I do like Hodgins, and I think he's going to be very productive. I really do. I don't have a problem with that with him. At all. Now, listen, would you always like to have that shiny model that everyone wants? That guy who basically people can't cover? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, the Jets have one of those. The Jets, with Rodgers and the guys they have at receiver and at running back, if that offensive line performs, they are going to be a terrific offense. Now, I'm scared to death about the offensive line with the Jets. And there's no way I'm going to change about that until I see that things are a lot better than I had hoped for. I'm very worried because I, 
I see problems brewing, and I don't see answers when they brew. So that really worries me. And that's the thing that could – that and the coaching staff are the two things. And listen, the inspirational words that come out of hard knocks, okay, take those with a grain of salt. That show is so rehearsed, it is crazy in everything that is done there. That show is rehearsed to the nth degree. Take all of that you see on that show with a very, very big grain of salt. Understand you're watching a TV show and a heavily rehearsed one at that. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.